Hey, folks, I know there are lots of business owners who listen to this show. Maybe some of you never planned on running a business, but now here you are. One thing you've always got to keep in mind is how much you're spending on your operating costs. That's one of the first things we had to keep in mind with WTF. And with things costing more today than they did when we started, you want to keep your expenses down. To reduce costs and headaches, be smart and use NetSuite by Oracle, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. Reduce IT costs, cut the costs of maintaining multiple systems, improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash WTF for more. That's netsuite, N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E dot com slash WTF. All right, let's do this. How are you, what the fuckers? What the fuck, buddies? What the fucking ears? What the fucksters? What the fuckleberry thins? What the fuckaholics? What's happening? I'm Mark Marin. This is my uh, podcast, WTF. Welcome to the show. I hope your uh, your day's going okay. If you're listening, you know early. I hope it's I hope it's not screwed up already. Let's turn it around. It's my little positive thinking pitch. Come on. You know what they say? You can start your day over at any time. Maybe it's been a rough eight minutes. <laughs> maybe maybe it was a difficult walk to the kitchen to make coffee in your head. Let's turn it around. If you're at the gym, keep going. If you're on the train, all right, just don't 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 sit next to someone who's coughing too much. I don't know, folks. Is everybody all right? Got a little bit of a double header today. Well, we get, we're going to talk to uh, Brett Gelman, the very funny and inspired and uh, slightly disturbing at times. Brett Gelman, big fan of his. He's going to be here for a minute to talk about his uh, his new thing. He's got a thing. He's got this thing uh, on Adult Swim called uh, Dinner in America uh, that airs uh, July first at midnight. It's uh, it's something, man. It is uh, it's a it's a mind blower, no doubt. Then after that, we're going to talk to John C. Riley about stuff. He's got his uh, Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule, which is uh, currently in its fourth season, also on Adult Swim. Riley, you know, he don't he don't talk much long form. This was an exciting thing, and uh, I didn't know where it was going to go, but it went. So look forward to that shortly. Before I, I do want to get some things out of the way. Uh, well, not out of the way. I, I want to thank you guys. You know, I want to thank everyone who donated to the Electronic Frontier Foundation this month after hearing me talk about it on the show. I mentioned that we would be matching any donations made by WTF listeners up to $5,000. And you guys hit that amount in a week. In a week. They're still taking donations for the rest of June. That's EFF.org slash WTF. Thanks again to everyone who supported them and everyone who still plans on supporting them. The EFF is a defender of podcasting against patent trolls, and your dollars help them do that, uh, alongside of all the other stuff they do to uh, fight the good fight. That's uh, EFF.org slash WTF. Go to WTFpod.com slash tour. I got tour dates coming up. I'd like you to come. Spokane. Uh, I'm doing, you know, full on... Five shows, man. Seven, eight, and nine. Spokane Comedy Club. Right? Yeah. 
Wise Guy, Salt Lake City, 14, 15, 16. Yeah, real deal. Five shows. Comedy Attic, Bloomington, Indiana, July 28, 29, 30. Five shows, man. Doing the real work. Stand Up Live, Phoenix, August 18, 19, 20. All right? Yeah. I'll be in Albuquerque for one night in September on the 3rd doing a benefit at the Albuquerque Journal Theater. Comedy Club in Rochester, New York, September 9th and 10th. I guess that's a four-show run. That's all that's up now. There will be more coming. I'm at the Ice House here in Pasadena on July 3rd, but I believe that is sold out. Chris Garcia is going to join me for that one. Got one more show at the Tripany tomorrow night. Those things, I've covered a lot of ground. Uh, Not quite uh, all coming together, but I'm doing it. Let me get you up to speed on a couple things, folks. Uh, You know, the uh, UK pulled out of the EU. And, uh, yeah, you know, I don't know the nuances of a lot of this, but my first feeling, being an American and watching that from afar in relation to what's going on here with this election, my first feeling when I read the news, I didn't watch it, I read it on the computer sometimes. When that happened, my gut feeling was, I think, the same feeling that Michael Corleone had when he was visiting Cuba and he was in that car and it stopped and he watched a police uh, altercation with some uh, Cuban revolutionaries and one of the guys blew himself up with a grenade. I believe took out a couple of cops. That's how, as an American facing the election we're facing, that was what came to mind when I heard about the vote in the UK in relation to the Trump candidacy was not unlike what Michael Corleone told Hyman Roth, played by the late Lee Strasberg, about what he saw. And Hyman Roth said, what does that mean to you? I'm paraphrasing. He goes, means they could win means they could win. Do you hear me, America? Behave properly. Do what's right. Not right wing. Do what's the best in this situation for America. But uh, heed the warning. Heed the warning. You remember what happened in Cuba back in the day. Also, I'd like to give a little update on the AT&T versus Marin situation. Look, it was never a fight. It was just my passionate and uh, slightly aggravated demand that uh, they get their noise out of my shit. And I got to be honest with you. Look, I know some of you are like, well, you you got a platform. I can't get that done. Yes, I do. I worked a long time for this to work out. And 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 I'm happy that I don't have a boss and that, you know, I'm not, you know, owned by Verizon. I'm not working, you know, under the auspices of anything. I have no corporation on top of me dictating what I can and can't do. I choose my own sponsors. I can say whatever I want. And I will, you know, obviously, you know, there could be repercussions depending on what I say. And believe me, I was scared. I was scared when I started talking about renting my new office and picking up all these frequencies on my stereo equipment in that office, being concerned about my health, but more concerned about my ability to listen to records because I'm, uh, I guess these are very, very much luxury problems, but I wanted to have the space clean 
of the hum and the buzz and the and it's been going on for months you know there's been people that have come there's been people that have assessed there's been people that you know from at&t that have uh that have uh monitored and you know troubleshot and i thought we figured it out what it was and then it just went dead for a while silence silence not the sound but my uh my cries for for justice and help and then I guess, uh, I don't know, they must have heard this or someone within the company, but, you know, heard something. They sent these two dudes over, young guys, hipster dudes that, you know, seem like like-minded folks that were kind of, they were subcontractors. They were excited by the problem. This was something I, I was very thrilled about in a way that they, they do this type of work. I mean, the challenge was, how do we get up on the roof and figure out a way to stop these waves from getting into this office right under the equipment? And uh, they told me, I, I, apparently I misspoke, you know, because I mentioned the heritage box and, and apparently they were like, uh, what are you telling them what it is for? It's, it's, uh, what is a heritage box? It's a heritage frequency. So I want to make that clear. That was uh, causing the trouble. A heritage frequency, 700 something. But anyways, these guys saw this. They were excited about the job because it was problem solving. And I guess they got up there and they laid down some copper mesh all around the shit soldered it down and folks the noise is gone the waves have been stopped my mind is protected by a fine copper screen above me yes that is my spirituality right now i'm protected by the copper mesh and believe me the liability of talking about this stuff Look, I didn't know if I was going to be Michael Clayton by middle management at AT&T. Obviously, you know, that's a dark and horrible scenario. But I, I don't know what my life is worth when you become an annoyance to one of the world's biggest corporations. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll fix that buzz. Podcaster Mark Marin uh, seems to have disappeared today. Friends and family have no idea of his whereabouts. There's been no communication and no podcasts. We do know he was having a problem in his office with a slight buzz on his stereo equipment from AT&T. That's the last we heard of him. Obviously, I'm kidding. But I want to thank AT&T for uh, due diligence and fixing the problem. Okay? So, Brett Gelman. Brett Gelman has created something that is very provocative. It's very violent. It's very funny. It's very dark. Uh, it's very pointed, uh, deals with um, the topic of racism, and it's like nothing you've seen before. I, I will tell you that right now. And uh, it is premiering on July 1st at midnight, Brett Gelman's Dinner in America on Adult Swim. And I talked to Mr. Gelman about this project. This is two white liberal Jewish guys talking about racism. Prepare yourself, because that doesn't always go. Sometimes I wish I paid more attention in school, or in some cases, any attention at all. There are probably a lot of things I could have gotten more out of, like literature, and now it's probably not in the cards to go back to school and study the classics. But luckily for us, there's a new podcast called The Foxed Page that dives deep into the best books of all time. This is basically like the best possible college English class, but more relaxed and fun. No pressure of grades, 
grades or needing to prepare something to say in class. It's only the books you want to read and know about presented by best-selling author Kimberly Ford. Everything from Cormac McCarthy to Madame Bovary, from classics like Frankenstein to modern hits like Lessons in Chemistry. I love Ireland, but I missed the boat on James Joyce. The Fox page has a three-part series on Dubliners, and that's a pretty great starting point. Want to get the most out of what you read? The Fox page is for you. Get it now wherever you get your podcasts. Oh, well. So, Brett. Yeah. What are you, what are you doing? What are you trying to do? <laughs> what am I trying to do, man? I mean, I, I'm making you, art. I'm making art. What I, you? you know, I, I, you know, I watched it. I watched what you put me through. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm flattered that you watched it. I watched it with uh, my girlfriend, who's very sensitive to uh, blood, yes, violence, yes. And uh, she got through it uh, because good, we knew good. it. Uh, it wasn't necessarily real. Right. Now, this is very. This is very. Um, I would call it violent satire. Yeah, I would. Uh, it's hard for me to label sometimes. What it's uh, hard for me to label it as well. What you you type of fellas do you and the Tim and Eric's of the world and the Eric Andres? I don't know what, what you're doing to us. You're fucking with our heads, Brett. Well, I uh, you know I guess it's like theater of the absurd, you know, in a way. I don't sure. know. Uh, I, no, I think so. And uh, I mean, I'm really influenced by a lot of hardcore playwright guys yeah, as like well as filmmakers you know like uh, uh, i mean you know i love my uh i love my beckett and my, oh yeah my sam shepherd sure. and my harold pinter and, how about some I mean, ionesco any ionesco of course of sure. course you sure. know uh i love i mean alby you yeah. know i mean yeah he he definitely creeped into that realm and uh, you know there's a type of uh, uh of satire and a type of theater and type of movie where where it the violence is it goes beyond gratuitous into hilarious yeah like oh <laughs> yeah i mean like lynch you know like right. lynch is a huge influence of mine and is uh, he yeah and like i love people i mean not that these guys necessarily go hilarious but uh monty python sometimes do. oh yeah of course yeah. and then you know uh and mel brooks you know i mean yeah. mel brooks is sure. is dancing, uh, very dancing fun Nazis. theater of the absurd yeah. you know a lot of the time and uh and, you know, I mean, people like Michael Haneke and like Lars von Trier, you know, which sure. are not, which I, I will argue that there are points in their films that are funny. Of course. <laughs> but, now, uh, but, but you take on, you're like, you're basically this one is about um, liberal guilt driven behavior. I, well, I'm, I'm married to a black woman. Yeah. I have always. Uh, so she's your check. You know, I've I, been I, I, interested. You have to check it through with her. Like this is what we're going to do. I definitely showed her the script. Yeah, I was like, how how does this all pan out, you know? I mean, I'm writing for uh, Could you uh, could you okay this on behalf of blacks everywhere? <laughs> I mean, I definitely, you know, I I I won't say who, but I, I sent the special we were looking for a place to air the premiere, you mm -hmm. know, and I sent it to this place, this certain place that is uh that is run by uh by black people and uh and they 
they said, no, we will not screen this here. And I definitely think that they might think that I'm a racist. Uh, and wait, I, wait, I, wait, wait, how, wh- why does the place have to be a mystery? I'm just stretching my imagination where you had to seek out a place. Oh, it's a museum, you know. Oh, uh, I thought it I was don't maybe wanna, a... Uh, I mean, uh, there, it's an incredible museum. It's, it's not it's called, uh, No, <laughs> no, no. It's, uh, it's the Underground Museum, which oh. is uh, this place like by West Adams and stuff like that. that uh, oh, right, right. Okay. And, uh, yeah, I really, they, you know, they, they're the whole concept of their museum yeah. is that, you know, people of color don't really get shown their work doesn't really get shown in museums, you know, for the most part, it's mostly a, a white male. So endeavor. You, sh- you showed them so the, the, I was the like, cut? I'd like to screen this here. Yeah. I showed them the cut and they were like, we don't uh, think that satire should enter race. And then I wrote them back and I said, you know, I hope you don't think that I think that this is, that this issue is funny. Uh, and I think did they lot- not see bamboozled? Um, they I'm sure they did, but that's made by a black filmmaker, right? It's okay. not a white. It's not two white guys. Did you tell me you're married to a black woman? I did not. I did not. No. <laughs> hey, no. let's wait. Let's think this through, <laughs> fellas. <laughs> yeah, I think that that would be uh, that'd be worse if I said that, Mark. <laughs> Why is that, Brett? Uh, oh, because it's like uh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's uh, definitely what the special is about, uh, and what the missing... whole problem is about, really, amongst us uh, white liberals, right? What, do you, no, what? What is the problem? The problem is, I you know, I don't believe in white guilt. I believe in white responsibility, uh-huh. and I believe that white people in this country, and we're Jews, so we're like more like gray. No, I'm just I like the way you say it. We're uh, Jews. <laughs> No, Jews. white people in this country, I mean, we're conditioned into a racist system. Yes. You uh, you look at our business. You go into most writers' rooms. You go onto most sets. Yeah. And 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 it is white. Right. You go into most uh, alternative comedy clubs. It is white. You go to most independent film festivals. It is predominantly white. And I think that that is because... Uh, though we, you know, in our in our minds are saying... I'm not a racist. We don't think in a racist way. We don't think that we are superior to uh, people of color. I do think that subconsciously we are, uh, we're not really thinking of them as much as, uh, as, as we think that we are. Well, well, in an empathetic way, you know, we claim to understand intellectually the issue. Exactly. And and we say like, holy shit, that's horrible. But when when you talk to a black person about their experience on a fucking day to day basis. Yeah. Where you really to to truly be empathetic with that awareness or that consciousness of, of the other all the time. It's you know, it's daunting and it's horrendous. Yeah, I you know it. Uh, I see what my wife goes through on day to day thing. It brought it way more to home. I mean, I was always what are you putting. Her I through? always. Uh, <laughs> I'm way, I mean, that's that's not racial. That's just uh, personality based. Uh, no, I mean, and then you know, a lot of things surface. Yeah. Uh, over the last couple of years, we've right. seen a lot of people sure. getting killed by the cops. They've yeah. always been killed by the cops. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and there's always been police abuse in in these neighborhoods mm-hmm. uh the oppression uh, that people have to go through in these neighborhoods is you, you know there, there sure. is a systemic thing you, you know absolutely uh and that was just coming to light more and more and uh many issues to me have been really in my face lately uh 
more than they I I don't know if it's I'm getting older and more sensitive to it um or or what and and you know just seeing just my wife walking into a beauty store yeah. and the person going these are organic products just like that you know a, a systemic problem it doesn't just happen in these bangs it happens in whispers mm-hmm. you know it happens in these little things that and so we're all contributing to that and i'll just use myself as an example i i had the idea for this special i you know we cast joe morton Sharika Epps, Mac Wilds, Loretta Devine, Lance Reddick. These are all, you know, great, really uh, you know, just unbelievable actors. Yeah. And I was like, you know, I, I reached out. I, I, I talked to, 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 to Absolutely. And I, I was just like, we have to What's make absolutely? sure. Absolutely is Tim and Eric's production okay, company yeah, produced yeah. this. And I was like, we have to get crew members of color here. I can't have like... The, this subject matter being done and then these actors on set and they're looking out and it's all white faces. Yeah. That is not okay. And then I thought, holy shit, I'm a fucking racist. Yeah. Why did it take me having black actors and, and writing about uh like you know, this issue yeah. for me to realize that I should have an inclusive set, an inclusive right. crew and be going out of my way to- right. To help people, you know, I mean, and that's the thing, and you hear it. Well, I think even the idea of of see, this is where it gets tricky. Yeah, is that like wh- help people? Do you, you know, like there, we should be at a point where people are people, and inclusiveness is understood. Exactly. So, like, you know, there's still a frame of like, I'm a racist because I'm not helping black people. Whereas, like, you know, ultimately, non-racism would be people are people, and you don't even think about it, right? So when you start putting together this thing, which is which is provocative and uh, assaulting in a way, sure, sure, and you know profoundly disturbing, and uh, it is it is art in the sense that you can't stop watching it. It is profoundly uncomfortable, and even at the end, where there is some resolution, um, it is uh, it, it's not it's not it's not that it's not a strong joke, but it's a disturbing irony, and. Uh, and you don't really know what to do with that. You know, you, you sort of finish watching it and you're like, uh, holy shit. Now, where do I send money? What are you supposed to do? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what uh, what are you supposed to do? Yeah. I mean, well, the thing is, and this is what I think art is. I think art is a question mark and that you live in, in the question, mm-hmm. you know, and you present the question. That is life. You know, as soon as you give an answer and you're standing by that answer and that answer is unmovable, then you're you're really fucked, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, and so I, I, I the, the special doesn't really present any answers. It's only presenting a reality, which is very complicated. And, it's a complicated special because, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. Your character is demonic. And, yeah, uh, and, you and know, he's a coward. He's a coward. Well, he's like Satan. I mean, you, it seems like you play <laughs> Satan over and over again. <laughs> but ultimately, you're, you you know, in you, what becomes very clear, you know, from the beginning, you know, despite whatever kind of coward you are, you're responsible. Yeah. I mean, it's a guy who is tr- and thus trying to prove that he's not a racist proves that he is a racist. And it's a guy who really wants to get like patted on the back mm-hmm. for right for this amazing charitable yeah thi- you know c- very conscious thing that he's doing yeah which in a way 
is what I'm doing. Yeah. You know, and, yeah, and you're doing uh, it with, yeah. by doing this thing. <laughs> exactly. So there's a lot of layers. Well, I think that like that, that the, the voice that you gave to some of the, the black actors and the issues was very uh, uh, engaging and real. Oh, thank you. Like that was that, the thing that I set out to do. Was the because, c- like, you know, you may be responsible uh, for doing exactly what you're satirizing in real life, but but the actual voice, like Morton's, you know, when he when he loses his shit, yeah, like you know, it's like that was uh, that was solid. That was thank some you. real, um, yeah, like real unheard stuff to be that clear about yeah. that type of anger. Well, Jason and I really wanted. Uh, well, we wanted to do with two two things there. I mean, we wanted to the Morton's monologue, Loretta Devine's monologue, uh, Octavio Gomez's monologue, uh, who plays the waiter. Mm-hmm. Those aren't comedic at all. That's right. not trying to make you laugh from discomfort. That is actually dropping tragedy in the midst of uh, of this and putting it up against a comedic buffoon archetype you know it's so weird because for me you know when i see this stuff and like when i ask myself about racism or, or where who i am and what i'm like i don't i i'm always approaching like you know i'm self-involved you right. know and a lot of times i'm dismissive because of that uh you know I, i'm a little bit anxious but i always i'm always i i feel like i'm respectful and i don't really you know acknowledge i don't see any difference but i do acknowledge ethnic differences but not yeah. in a negative way. Right. But in almost a, a sort of like a respectful way. Like, cause I, I have found that like in my upbringing, you know, outside of just being a Jew and whatever that means, I, I envy community. I envy definition of personality. I envy, you know, this sort of like, uh, you know, ability to sort of know who you are and where you stand. And I respect it. And, and a lot of times, like, there, there are moments that I have where it's sort of like, when I watch like a black comedy show, I'm like, this is exactly what it is, and it's great, and yeah. and, and and it's like, and and not, it's understood immediately by by a lot of people in this community. You know, there's a whole rhythm, and there's a whole process, and there's a whole, um, you know, context to how this 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 community engages with this. And I don't I don't see it. I see yeah. we're so self conscious, you know, white people, which is sort of what you're executing here that there's this self-consciousness that that we think is um sort of respectful you, you know like you know like i don't want to you know, i don't want to yeah you, the you self-consciousness know. is being placed in the wrong place a little bit a, a little because it's more about us yeah because it should just be about we should be self-conscious about not how we think and what we say but we should be self-conscious about our actions right i'm really talking about employment here i'm right. talking about uh legislation for protection here. right and us doing going out of our way to try and help with that with the black community with the latino community the lgbtq community right, sure. you know the female community as opposed to just saying this is awful if trump wins i'm leaving the country exactly yeah, exactly yeah, or like you know how many people how many like white guys have you talked to you know, I mean, it's less so now, but back in the day when we were like, oh, my God, Trump's hilarious. It's like, well, maybe you should talk to a Mexican or a Middle Eastern person mm-hmm. because it's it's actually dangerous for them because most of the killings that happen in this country are done by white guys. So, you know, you have uneducated white guys like hearing these things from him, it might justify them to go and fucking kill someone. Yeah. So 
Uh, that's what, so that's what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about erasing culture and all of us, you know, just being one thing. When you approach black actors with the, with something like this, what, how did, how do they respond to it? Um, you know, they, they got it. Uh, they got what I was, which I, I mean, some of them asked, why did you write this? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, cause this, you know, I, this issue means a lot to me. It's one of the issues that mean a lot to me. Yeah. Uh, and it upsets me. And um, was there any collaboration not, around like, you know, I don't think you got this right. No, no. I, we took a long time to write it uh-huh. and, and really scrutinized over it. And uh, and we were just like, you know, th- some of this is not funny. We don't think it's funny. And we actually don't think it really is like a bit of a prank. It's 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 a tragedy masquerading as a comedy sure and so they they really got i mean joe uh was you know said yeah this is like uh when the richard Pryor special when he brought out a gun and was saying he was gonna kill all the white people in the audience right and i was like whoa that's uh exactly right yeah well yeah Um, the, the aggressive violent bloody bloods blood and gut satire i mean it is um there's a tradition to it you know, it, it does. You, you know, that kind of menace uh, has been it, it has been engaged in you know in brutal satire before, and it's it's good to see actually. Oh, thanks. I would like to read some uh, uh, black criticism of it. Now, I, I mean, I and by criticism, I mean you know intellectual assessment of it. Not that sucks. You know, I'd like to hear a, a critical analysis. I or, would like to. Feedback. I would like to see. You know, I, I've shown. I've I've shown. Uh, I've shown uh, friends of mine um, the special, and you know they've they've all liked it, but they know me mm-hmm. and they know what my intentions are. So it's like you know, as you know, you're not putting your intention right about. I mean, you know, when I when I called Lance Reddick, I don't do think it, it can be misunderstood. And, you know, I, I don't think it can be misunderstood as exploitational or 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 racist. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think it can be misunderstood. If if somebody goes, I think I was offended. That's racist. I can't really argue with that because mm-hmm. I'm not experiencing what they experience right. every day. And I think and you, that, I think you should do some follow up. I think I would like to. Like if you and Jason get any of that type of feedback, you should have a discussion. I will engage with the discussion. I mean, you know, I, I would I would love to engage with. I, what I hope though is that is that. Uh, no one of color is offended or feels and, and sees what I'm that I'm saying that I, I'm really talking about the you know yeah. the white liberal we'll see, problem Brett. here we'll, we'll see. see we'll see yeah I mean uh, and that's the thing too it's like it's not just with this special it's not just with this premiere screening I really do want to make the experience of my work. And the and the collaboration of my work, whatever I do, is as inclusive as possible. And so that's really that's really uh, opened the door to that consciousness in my mind. Well, good. You know? Well, that's uh, well, well, that's good. I'm glad you're evolving. And it took a lot of blood and guts and weirdness to do that. Oh, well, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. You know, you got to evolve, right? Yeah. I I think uh, consciousness is important and and really i think a a big step is self-forgiveness just moving on 
Like, if you say something racist and you don't mean to, and somebody goes, you're racist, for, or that was racist. Yeah, take the hit and think just about it. Just be like, yeah, you know what? I fucked up. I mean, no, I, no, I, I, I believe that. Every, no, I believe that's true. I'm conditioned to. I fuck up every day. Well, I probably it, fucked up. I'm sure you could point out, like, fucked up things I said in this. I, I don't know. Well, tolerance and sensitivity, there's a learning curve to it. Because, like you said, not unlike the system, shit is ingrained. Yeah. And, and we, you know, we have to be afforded the uh the 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 sort of room to evolve yeah it's not about guilt yeah you don't want to draw a line waste guilt, of time guilt or blame but if somebody says look yeah you know what i you know i did i didn't think about it that way i appreciate it so it's about empathy and you know I'll, i will make that mistake again and uh i'll i'll, I'll right you step on somebody's foot they go you stepped on my foot you don't go no i didn't fuck you <laughs> You go, I'm sorry. I'll try not to step on your foot next time. You know what I mean? It's or like, depending on what kind of person simple. you go, you say like, yeah, well, I got these big dumb feet and, you know, it happens a lot and there's, there's really nothing I can do about it. <laughs> right. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. It's my, my bad, but yeah. I, you know, I'm kind of just going to keep stepping on feet. Yeah. Because I, you know, it's, it's a, it's a system. Yeah. Mm. I mean, guilt's a waste of time. You know, oh. it's a complete waste of time. I, I, not I unless you enjoy it, you know, unless it's, you know. Your home base, <laughs> right? Yeah, no. I mean, we, that's a deeper problem. Yeah, that's a that's a very Jewish problem. All right, keep trying to do the right thing, Brett. I'll try. Okay, you too, Mark. I'm you trying. <laughs> Brett Gelman, the 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 lovely and talented and and a true artist, Mr. Gelman is. And he uh, has done something with Jason Wolliner that is uh, pretty, uh, pretty intense, pretty crazy. You can watch it on uh, July 1st at midnight, Brett Gelman's Dinner in America. Also, speaking of television, as I've uh, alerted you before, those of you who are in the uh, Academy of Television and are voters for Emmys, I have a show on IFC that either you know about or you don't. Uh, I also have a special uh, on Epics that you can also see on Hulu and you can see on Amazon Prime called More Later. And I am uh, telling you because today is the last day you can vote. So if I'm, I'm reminding you to vote for Emmys, uh, go do it. Obviously, vote for whatever you're going to vote for. But today is the last day. But I'd, I'd like you to vote for my show and I'd like you to vote for my special. So I'm doing my due diligence here to raise awareness because my network did not. Um, so there's that. Okay, are we good? John C. Riley. I was very excited to have Mr. Riley here. I'm a very big fan of John C. Riley. I think he's one of the great actors. I always enjoy seeing him. I have for what feels like most of my life. So when I finally got him in here, I was thrilled. As you'll find listening, he doesn't always like to talk about himself. So it was a little tricky, but we found a way. We, we, we got excited about some stuff that you'll be surprised about. All right. Uh, I do want to mention that his show, Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule, is currently in its fourth season, Fridays on Adult Swim. And also, we shared this with you a few weeks ago. We uh, talked about The Lobster, which is a great movie. Uh, it's still in theater, so you can go see that. And now you can enjoy me talking to John C. Riley. So I feel like I know you. Like I, I apologize if I came at you with too much familiarity no, in my no, driveway. Okay. There's just a moment where you seem familiar to me. That's the story of my life, Mark. Is, is it really? Yeah. I had no idea, really. That happens a lot to you? 
Yeah, p- people feel feel very f- feel like they know me because they've whatever spent time with me in their privacy of their homes. <laughs> yeah, but I think it also speaks to a consistency, even in the varying characters. There's some core to you that seems like oh no, every character I do is totally different <laughs> and unique. It's an genius creation each time. I think that's true. I do think that's true. But uh, but the core, the core of you. Is there, isn't it? I wish I knew what the core of me was. Well, then, Maybe I don't wish I know it. Maybe that's your genius. Maybe that's it. So uh, we talked about in walking up here that I met you at that bowling party for Ron Lynch. That would make sense. Yeah, the great Ron Lynch. Yeah. You, how do you know him? Just from... Uh, well, actually, I saw him first at this thing called the Uncabaret many years ago. It was like, where right. all kinds of... Beth Lapidus. Famous stand-up comedians started. Kathy Griffin, Taylor Negron. Dana. Dana Gould. Mm-hmm. All the usual suspects. Yeah, yeah. So you, you used to go over there? Yeah, I'm. I forgot how I know Beth, but yeah, Beth and Greg started that, and I just started to go just because it was fun. And when I saw you at that bowling party, I can't remember how long ago it was, but I feel like it was around. Here. No, maybe it wasn't around here because there's a bowling alley down there. But that's where you met Tim and Eric at that thing. Yeah, Ron invited me to his birthday party at this bowling alley. It it was on. Uh, I feel like it was that one that was on Santa Monica. That's mm. closed now. That's a high school there now, I think. But I think I met them there, and they asked me to be on Tom Goes to the Mayor. Mm-hmm. And then we kind of hit it off from there. And you just said you're about to start production for New Brules? Check it out? No, I'm just an executive producer on the Check It Out show, but we're we are about to release the next season of Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule. Oh. June 17th. So you, it doesn't have anything. You're just a producer. I'm the executive producer, yes. One of three. Uh-huh. Who are the other? Tim and Eric? Tim and Eric. That's right. But what What about, so do you, you, you don't associate yourself with uh, with Dr. Brule as a character? He's a separate fella? He is. I find it's best to let people have that man as their own. <laughs> yeah. And if they choose to take his advice, then so be it. I, I enjoy him. He's uh, disturbing and funny and... Uh, and uh, uh, knowledgeable yeah <laughs> depends on the type of knowledge you're after but i guess so what you know the guy right i've met him yeah. i have met him uh-huh I, I get very disciplined when about the things i'm talking about or else every interview becomes uh, some type of retrospective which i find boring do but, you really yeah i don't like i don't especially like talking about myself and i definitely don't like talking about the past in terms of like my own work or whatever, like I like ta- I like telling stories from my childhood and stuff, but mm-hmm. uh, but yeah. I like well, I mean, I don't know about a retrospective, but like I th- I'm sort of curious about because I've talked to people of I guess we're about the same age of of, of our generation recently, like of like uh, actors like Rockwell and Ethan Hawke, and sometimes people can talk about acting, sometimes people can't. You know, and it's it, it's sort of interesting to me. Either either you have, you know, something you do, and it's built up. You know, it's grown over time, or you just a natural at it. I mean, where did you start doing it? I started doing it when I was about eight years old at the park near my house. We used, there was a thing called drama class. Where was this? In Chicago, on the south side yeah, of Chicago. Yeah. yeah. In a park called Marquette Park, and um, 
and I used to go over there. I've had a crazy friend that I met in school, and he was like, my aunt teaches drama class at the park. You should yeah. come with. We call it drama. Yeah. Literally had never heard the word before, I guess. But uh, It's kind of a, maybe that's with a Chicago accent. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> and so he said, come by, and I, I, was, I didn't know what the hell it was, and so I went and um, had a great time, and then we started, do, I did lots and lots of musicals, basically, when there, yeah. and all different high schools and community theater. And when you were like thing. 8 and 10, 8 to 10, 12 years old, how old? I started going to drama class when I was 8, and then I just never stopped, Doing basically. Yeah, and mostly musicals? Well, on the south side of Chicago, that's all they want to do is musicals. There's no Ibsen being done at the community theater, and maybe I'm maybe it's changed. But when I was a kid, it was all maybe a little Arthur Miller, no Arthur Miller, nah, (laughs) Brigadoon, Hello Dolly, Jesus Christ Superstar, yeah. So, so you're like a like Chicago kid, working class kind of deal. Yeah, my father had an industrial linen supply company, and my mother was for the most part was a housewife but then worked as a lunch lady for many years because she was just bored sitting at home so she wanted to go work at the school yeah <laughs> i could never understand it i tried for a long time to get her to stop doing it she's like what what the hell am i gonna do with myself sitting here when you're all at school so so she was a lunch lady at your school no at another chicago public school how many brothers and sisters you got i have five brothers and sisters oh my god that's a lot. You know yeah. them all pretty well? Yes, I do. I know them all very well. <laughs> the Catholic family? Yes. Yeah, yeah. We went to, yeah, we were Catholic. I I like Chicago. Like I Chicago I, I didn't know it and now I go there and I it like I was so New York oriented, but once you really experience Chicago, it's just it's a real it's its own deal. It's like it's a whole different Don't act thing. so surprised like every condescending New Yorker that Chicago is its own deal. Well I grew up in New Mexico. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> <laughs> but it, but it, like Chicago's I, actually really interesting. Wow, you know, you got a real city here. Well, uh, it's just like in, you have to spend time there though. Like no, I no, mean I'm I'm just No, it's okay. Busting. I can I'm, take it. I'm acting like a typical Chicagoan, which is I, I have all defensive with a chip on their shoulder and I go there competitive more, with New York. Yeah, but I go there more than New York now. I mean, I like going to Chicago to spend time there. I went it's there. It's a great town. Do you know Joe Swanberg? Yeah, I do. Yeah, he's a great guy. I was there. I did a thing with him, and like he's a sweet guy, and he showed me around, took me some places. I just like uh, you have to, you have to really have to have somebody take you around so you can really take it in. Yeah, that's true. But when I go back now, mm-hmm. if I were to take you like, okay, Mark, I want to take you to my Chicago, Yeah, I feel like I'm traveling like a ghost. It's like a oh, Christmas really? carol. Yeah. Because you realize, you really that expression, you can't go home, you really mm-hmm. can't go home. It's not there anymore. Yeah. Those people that define the place are not there anymore. And so there's sort of this, I don't know, I have this skeletal feeling when I go there. It's still a fantastic city but it's not the city that i grew up in you know well, it's like because of gentrification or just a, the shifting just of time the because of the sands of time oh just, you like different stores and shit yeah things change yeah. and you know like when i was growing up mayor daly the first mayor daly was mayor for 30 years or something and everything every public work in the city was painted kelly green yeah either like a mint green or kelly green and anything that was metal was painted kelly green yeah and my dad used to say it was because, you know, Daly was Irish. And my dad was part of that whole kind of Irish Democratic machine oh, yeah? situation on the south side there. All his friends were all, you know, 
these sort of ex football player crony guys. <laughs> yeah. Jan Jan, get over here. <laughs> yeah. So they, I, they, I grew up very like well protected by by those guys. Racists, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You were in Hoffa, weren't you? Yeah. So did, shot in Chicago. Right, exactly. That was like a Chicago story. Not only shot in Chicago. I was more of a Detroit. You oh know, yeah. He, Hoffa was a Michigan guy. Michigan guy. guy. Yeah. Well, I don't know why I made the assumption. Just Union and yeah, Chicago. A lot of stuff went down. There were a lot of labor strikes and stuff happened in Chicago. But Did that feel like the guys your dad hang around with? Oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> are you, does he, is he still around? No, my, both my parents are dead. I'm sorry. That's all right. Did, it, did your siblings stay in Chicago? Kind of, although we all kind of drifted away from that original neighborhood where I grew up. I had 35 first cousins. Oh within God. a 10 block area of where I live. <laughs> so I would go out. I remember I would leave. I wore the same thing every day for like, I don't know, most of my life. <laughs> Unless I had to wear something nice for school or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was Converse All-Star High Tops, JCPenney plain pocket jeans, and a white t-shirt. Yeah. And that's what I wore every until the shoes wore out, until the pants wore out. Like, just get the same thing over Your and choice over. or your mom's choice? That was my choice. Yeah. yeah, it's consistent. It's like Einstein. And then, uh, and I'd leave the house about eight, eight o'clock in the morning. Go like wake up my cousin, and we just bum around all day, and stop at different relatives' houses throughout the day if you got hungry or thirsty or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> in some ways, it was like a really <laughs> idyllic kind of life. When did your interest in like did you do? Because I know Second City was there. Were you? Did you go to theater like at, at, while you were doing it? Was there an active interest that started where you were like, I, I think I want to do this? Not until very late. Oh yeah. Again, because I didn't. I had no idea what it was really to be an actor as a job. Yeah. Like if I went to the movies, I never thought of the actors in movies as actors. I right. just thought like that's Gene Hackman. That's what he's like. He's yeah. like Popeye Doyle. <laughs> I know they changed his name for the movie, but that's what he's like. <laughs> that's what I did to you earlier. Yeah, it's kind of like, I, I do the same thing to actors. I see people coming out of an elevator while I'm going in for a meeting. Like, right. Hey, man, how's it going? Oh, fuck. It's just I don't guy. know that person. <laughs> I've never met him. Even now you do that? Yeah, yeah, totally. You just get familiar with people. and Yeah, but uh, so I did a lot of plays when I was a kid. And yeah. then I went to drama school at this place called the Goodman School of Drama. At DePaul University, which yeah. is now called the Theater School at DePaul University. They changed the name. Was that like a two-year or four-year thing? Four years. Yeah. Bachelor of Fine Arts. Mm-hmm. And it was kind of a conservatory program where, similar to like Juilliard or one of those places where yeah. you just eat, sleep, and breathe theater. But did you do like uh, like uh, swordsmanship and stuff and yeah. dance? All of it. All that stuff? Movement to music. Makeup. I had a whole semester's makeup class I had to take. Yeah? Did you yeah. do any clown work? Well, it's interesting you mentioned clowns because I used to be a clown. You did? Even before I went to acting school, I was through my church group. I was a clown and... Um, and I thought that might be what I went to do after I finished. Even after I went through acting school, I thought I was, gonna, was really toying with the idea of going down to um, Florida there. With the have, Barnum and Bailey yeah, they Clown have College? Clown College yeah. there. And I almost did it. And then at the last second, someone said, you know what they get in return, right? And I was like, no. Like, 
Well, you have to ride. You have to be part of the circus for like three years for basically no pay. <laughs> yeah. You just they give you food and you get the <laughs> shittiest compartment in the train and. You have to travel for three years with the circus, and I was like, ah, that's, I don't that's, think I'm going to go for that. That's what paying your dues as a clown is. But I now collect, and I think I might be saying this publicly for the first time, Yeah, I collect clown paintings. Oh, did you see I had one? I know, I saw, yeah. I noticed. How many you got? I have about 75, 80, oh, something really? like that. Yeah, like amateur clown paintings? All pretty, yeah, all amateur, although I have some that are like more well done than others but uh-huh. and you know what i'm gonna ask you next do you, do you have kind, a what kind of clown was i <laughs> no uh do you have a john wayne gacy clown painting no good see i'm not good. into that i was Dark. john wayne gacy was killing kids my age when he was killing kids yeah so i don't have much affection or kind of like i don't have that no morbid curiosity and, or uh, horrible yeah. i know someone a friend of mine or someone i haven't seen in a long time but he was corresponding with him, and he's all into it. He ended up writing a book about serial killers, so I understood his interest. But yeah, I don't yeah, know. No, to no. me, the whole thing. Why that's would you happened want that with, in the house with clowns? Yeah, is yeah, exactly. It's like you know, it's cursed. like cursed. Yeah, thing that happened with clowns, kind of in my lifetime, is that like some jerk decided like clowns were scary. I never understood and that. turned it into this horror movie trope. Yeah, and in fact, clowns are like priests you know the the real people who are really committed to clowning who are good at it yeah it's like a monastic kind of life where you really you're kind of it's like a vocation you're giving yourself over to this higher calling where you're bringing joy to people and i don't know it's a it's a special kind of calling it's a very specific work too really i mean in a way like the the training for it you know, to to i guess it could come natural but it seems like the movement and the broad sort of nature of opening your heart in that way mm-hmm. and you know choosing your face i was that always fascinated me well there's that well if we're going to talk about clowns i know a lot about it okay the whole thing about choosing your face is like it kind of comes to you in this you know through the process of training as a clown yeah. there's all these rules and stuff about I won't get into the minutia of it, but there are specific rules about being a clown if you're going to really be a formal clown. Uh huh. Um, but when you discover your makeup, it's almost like this sort of inner journey that you make, and you realize who you who you are, and mm-hmm. you design this makeup, and then that's like sacred. No one can do your makeup. No, right, right. no one can take your look. And what happens if someone does? It's like it's a clown it's a Shonda. Crime. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Shonda, and you have to live with that. And that, there's some interesting, famous ver- uh, cases, inc- instances of yeah. that. Yeah. So you get so if you become like a well-known clown yeah. and you make it into the clown museum or the clown hall of fame, I think it's in St. Louis. They put your makeup, your your picture of your makeup on an egg, on a hollow egg, huh. and then it's housed in the museum, and then th- that's forever no one can do your makeup wow so so one of my favorite clowns is emmett kelly sure and emmett kelly is the famous tramp clown he's one of the only people in the whole history of clowning that invented a kind of clown the tramp yeah the tramp and in the time he did it he was actually a trapeze artist who got injured yeah and he was kind of a sometime illustrator he'd do like drawing and stuff for money he's like the famous clown one of the big ones yeah emma kelly he's yeah the one looks all sad he was yeah, silent yeah. he never spoke and yeah he was always depressed his character was called weary willie and 
so he was a trapeze artist in the circus and he got injured and he couldn't continue on the trapeze and they were like well kid see you later and he's like please please don't send me home please i'll do anything like well i think we need a clown you want to be a clown like do you have a character oh of course i do and he didn't have a character he had just been drawing this bum kind of character um called weary willie and he's like i'll just be willie and so he started to do it and at the time it was like the great depression was going on and when people saw this clown it was an instant hit because it was it made people feel like well i'm i'm really struggling but that guy's much worse off than me or they could relate even that's how bad things were yeah someone like he had like a clothespin for a tie bar and like you right. know, all these great little yeah. details of his costume. Anyway, he became world famous clown and like the biggest star of the circus and and then he he sort of retired and then his son Emma Kelly Jr. decided to continue doing the character. Uh oh. But not uh, it's not legal. It was in a clown Shonda. <laughs> oh really, even his kid. Yes, and they stopped speaking as a result of it. Because of the face. Yes. You can't take that guy's look. Mm-hmm. So it was this big controversy. Anyway, I hope they made peace in heaven. I think they're both... I know I know Emma's, the dad yeah, is yeah. dead. I think the younger son is dead now, too. Have you ever done... like? Because I, am I remembering right? Did you do like sort of a clownish character in, uh, in like Chicago? Wasn't there sort of a broad well, kind of... I made it that. You did? Yeah, because I wanted to... This whole thing of like putting on the makeup beforehand, I was like, I want him to be kind of a like this tramp clown. Like I, I kind of edged it that way. Yeah, yeah. And then this woman was doing makeup for the movie. People always think they can do clown makeup and then they put it on you and you look like terrifying. <laughs> so this woman started putting on these big black eyebrows on my... And I already have like a crow magnon brow, so like if you do anything to my eyebrows, it makes me look really scary. So I saw what she was doing and I was like, you know, hold off, hold off. Let's just let me go talk to the director for a second. I think maybe I'm gonna do this on camera. I'll do, and, and part of the reason it's it's the way it is in the movie in the movie is because I didn't want the makeup artist to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah so yeah. I just did and Rob's like you know, the director's brilliant, brilliant. I'll yeah. just watch you put the makeup on and then it became part of the number and Anyway, so yeah, I did do a clown character did, in that movie. Did and you, I still have the shoes that I wore, the oversized clown shoes that I wore. From really? The, yeah. Did, did you feel the effect? Of, like, it must be sort of powerful. I mean, somebody who has as much respect for clowning and clowns as you do, to, to do that, pro, to put makeup on, to look at yourself doing that. Yeah. I mean, it must be kind of deep to the, to the transformation. Yeah, it's intense because you're wearing a cl- you're wearing a mask, but yeah. everyone can still see your face. Yeah, and that movie also was like going right back to my childhood. It just took me right back to how it felt to be on stage doing a musical. And yeah, it was, so that was really the first musical you'd done since you were a kid. Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah. But there's not that many opportunities to do musicals. I know, there should be more. It's, a, it's like one of the few things Americans have to call our own. Well, how come you, how come you haven't done any Broadway musicals? Um, haven't. I've been busy. You guys shoot movies. It takes up a lot of time. I don't know. There was a period of my life when I was really open to doing theater in New York. Yeah. And then, you know, I have children and it became harder to move them. And right, right. I just figured, you know what? I'm going to pull a Dennehy and just hit it hard. <laughs> Once my kids are in college, <laughs> you get waited out. Are they? In co- How old are they now? They're 
private citizens until they're old enough to, oh, okay. to tell you how old they are. All right. So <laughs> so you got a few years before you're going to hit it hard then? Yes. <laughs> yeah. A few, few years. But I, I stayed involved in theater here. and. But didn't you do True West? Plays. Yeah, that was a long time ago. Has it been a long time ago where you played both roles, right? Yep. You yeah. switched Phil them up. and I switched roles every three performances. Oh, man. I miss that guy. Yeah. You and me both, brother. So- did I? Is this a true thing that you're doing? Uh, you're playing Oliver Hardy. Is that really happening? I intend to. Yeah. Oh, so it's not at any stage where you're actually uh, acting yet. No, it's going to be. We're going to film. It's a movie. You know, we're going to do, and probably not till the fall. Are what? Are you, you going to put on a little weight? What are you going to do? I don't know. You'll have to see. I don't. But that's. Like, I don't let people behind the curtain, Mark. You know, ever. <laughs> but, <laughs> ever. But, but that. <laughs> It's part of my clowning training. You never let anyone see you like talk as yourself when you're dressed as a clown. Or, but that's sort of a clown role too. That's gonna be kind of fun. Yeah, two of the greatest clowns ever. In fact, it's funny you should mention them, Mark, because look at my cufflinks. Uh Stan, is it Stan and Ollie? Uh, who's playing uh, Stan? Steve Coogan. Oh, really? Yeah, that'll be fun. Jesus, that'll be. A I blind. wouldn't even be talking about this other than the fact that the producers have already announced it publicly. So. So we were cool? Yeah, we're cool. We're cool. You, just between you and I and the, and the 20 million people that <laughs> listen to this podcast, I have to admit, I don't even understand the whole podcast thing. I mean, good on you. I'm happy for you. But I honestly don't know where people get the time to listen to a podcast. Well, I I, agree. I I understand that. I think most people do it when they exercise, when they drive. Okay, I don't exercise. Right, right. When they drive, I when they commute, to either K Day or news radio. When I'm driving, right, right. Yeah, I do. I do NPR generally, but I think people who have integrated into their life, it's like you used to listen to radio. So they'll do it, you know, during their commute, during the exercise, on trips, on planes. It's a little better than radio because you can download it like a song. I I like uh, the Moth Radio Hour. I like all those story kind of ones. Yeah, those are good. Yeah, that's like a podcast. They do that as a podcast. You know, speaking of Laurel and Hardy, yeah. I'll tell you about Laurel and Hardy. This is the way it worked with Laurel and Hardy. Stan Laurel did almost all of the work. He did all the writing. He was yeah. like a workaholic. He never stopped writing, never stopped coming up with bits. He was very organized. He was always the one that's sitting at a typewriter. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Oliver Hardy might be sitting there, like, like giving opinions about stuff. But Stan was the one writing, 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 writing. And then, um, and Stan's job was also on the set. He would almost, like, direct stuff. Mm-hmm. They had cameramen and, and directors, but... It was all done very much in collaboration with Stan. Yeah. Oliver loved to eat, loved to drink, loved to gamble. He was like an ace golfer. He uh-huh. was like the best golfer in Hollywood. Yeah. So all these guys like W.C. Fields and John Wayne, all these famous people would always want to partner with Oliver Hardy because he would kick anyone's ass. Like, uh-huh. He was a savant at yeah. golf. Wow. So he, when he would go down to Tijuana, he was just loved traveling and spending money and just living large and enjoying life. You know? Yeah. And, but he had this very important thing in their, in their duo. If Stan said, like, what about this? What if I punch you in the nose? Like, uh, yeah, I don't know. What else? Oh, what if I just turned your ear and then I kicked you in the ass? That'll go big. That'll go big. And it sounds like, well, Stan's doing all the work. Oliver's just saying, yeah, that's a good idea. But that 
is the secret to their success to uh-huh. have one guy who stand trusted and they only trusted each other everyone else almost didn't even exist in their lives right but i just find that whole idea of duos in general even like singing duos like yeah. i'm really into close harmony singers yeah which is like you know the everly brothers are classic close harmony act yeah the leuven brothers before them the stanley brothers before them yeah and almost those just those three duos and i could name you four more but those three duos the stanleys yeah. the leuvens and the everlies yeah one of them touched by god right uh, an angel on earth like seeing like the larger picture like this beautiful angelic spirit yeah the other one torn apart by the devil and drink and <laughs> darkness and <laughs> and just fighting and violence and breaking things and yeah. but when they get together on stage this incredibly beautiful thing happens huh. and that's all three of those i mean how crazy is that they're all separated by many years and different musical styles what are yeah. the odds you know right. it must be that's what brings them together that fight that struggle and then the beauty that happens when in the moments of the song must be that special chemistry that happens like and it almost doesn't matter what people what their roles are yeah as long as it comes together in that way when it needs to come together so when when did you start acting professionally after i left college when i finished did you go to new york you come here uh i stayed in chicago and started working with the steppenwolf theater company which has its 40th anniversary this weekend really you began there Uh uh-huh who was in the crew then? Um, well, I first, I did, I understudied things there. And I did like a Shakespeare program for high schoolers just because I knew I just got to get in that building. I yeah. got to start working there and they'll, they'll see. Steppenwolf was the place. Yeah, yeah. By, I mean, this is like Malkovich had just broken out of there. and Joan started, Allen? Joan Allen, like all, all of them. Sinise, yeah. Um, so I started working there and was lucky enough those guys took me under their wing and gave me jobs and then i got my first movie and then when i came back from my first movie they cast me in, in a in a main stage production of Gra- the grapes of wrath uh-huh. with terry Kin- kinney and gary sinise so i owe terry a lot Kinney's to so steppenwolf good. yeah he's good i haven't seen him lately in things terry kinney uh i haven't seen him in anything lately either but i'm sure he's doing stuff you know what like you know what he was like really great in it was just i saw him in barry child i saw gary sinise's barry child on yeah. broadway that was great yeah i saw that in chicago it's good right mm-hmm. but like he had this great weird part in the firm the tom cruise movie oh yeah remember yeah and he's just sitting outside with the sprinkler hitting him yeah 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 oh shit like there's weird moments i remember about movies but certain actors like i was when you were coming over i kept thinking there's one fucking line like, cause like we're almost, we're basically the same age. So like, you know, I saw your shit as it came out cause you're a contemporary of mine in my head. That one line in fucking Casualties of War where you you go like, you know, it'd be really good right now, beer. I kind of want a beer. <laughs> fucking that line was like, that's the whole movie. <laughs> do, you, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Yeah. I know exactly. It was my line. Yeah. Yeah. But what it was just sort right of that. Now. A beer. Yeah. That's cold beer. Yeah. That guy was so dangerously dumb, that character. Oh, my God. But it's just like, that was so I funny. I thought you were going to say another one. I, Which like, one? Yeah, you know, I was thinking, we're like Genghis Khan, man. Yeah. <laughs> Where he starts to get these delusions of grandeur, like, it doesn't Danger. matter what we do. We're not bound by law. We're like Genghis Khan. We're just 
conquerors. Like yeah, but it all came to him after the intelligence already happened elsewhere. Yeah, he, yeah, he had yeah. to put it together. But like that beer line, it was like so disturbingly American. Yeah, in some fucked up way. Well, that whole movie is really interesting. It's like, and in some it's called Casualties of War, but it's really should be called The Rape. Yeah, yeah, that's what it's really about. It's yeah, the, the central action of the movie is this abduction and the rape and murder of this of this girl, and it was the, a true story. That's the that's the shot. Oh, it was. Yeah. So that was the first movie. That was my first movie. Yes. Yeah. Only 69 to go, Mark. Whoa. No, I'm not going to do it to you. I'm just going to pick randoms. Are you are you, are you all dressed up for, what did you do, Conan or something? No, no, I just, I like to overdress as opposed to underdress. I, we had a whole press junket thing for the lobster at the Four Seasons Hotel. Oh, so one after the other? Like just people with, on microphones? Yeah, I, which is so funny. Like, <clears throat> like why did like 8-track tapes become obsolete but this idea of coming into a room and talking for three minutes where you don't care what the question, you know, we don't, the, you don't care what my answer is. I don't care what your questions are and no one's going to watch this. Why is this? I don't know. Stupid thing of publicity junkets even exist. Who watches that? And Who they, really watches this stuff? That's right. what I want to know. And they think this big net idea is the way to go. So you do a million things like we're for content providers that have, you know, a 10,000 unique hits that you don't even know what the fuck it is. And well, that I could even I, I could understand like the internet, the reach of the internet. Yeah. But these it's the TV ones where they come in like we're just going to I don't know, it's just the questions are so mundane and like nothing's ever said, nothing's interesting. There's I feel like I'm just totally boring. Like, even people that are into my acting or interested in me would find this totally boring. Right, right. Why isn't there a more interesting way to promote movies? Like, I don't know. I think we're doing it. Ah! (laughs) Podcasts. I knew it. It's just like talking. Like, you know, because you're, you know, not everybody knows, you know, gets a sense of who you are. You know what I mean? And that's the way I like it, Mark. I'm sure it is. I mean, like, I, I think that, like, you know, actors have a certain, you know, responsibility to protect their insides. Well, it's not even that. It's like, I, I don't even know what's in there to tell you the truth. I don't, don't do a lot of self-analysis. You about, don't? No, not at all. I don't I don't like to think about that stuff. I like to just keep moving forward and try not to make mistakes or repeat mistakes, but keep moving. But do you experience... Uh, a, a, but my, the reason I like to protect my privacy oh, yeah. is because my job is to trick you into thinking I'm someone that I'm not. So if you know who I really am, yeah, and you know what my likes and dislikes are, and you know what my opinion is politically or this or that, right? then, you, then if I have to play something that's contrary to that, you're like, oh, well... That's not really him. It's bullshit. <laughs> and then your career is over. Really? Really. I think that's the secret to a long career as an actor is staying mysterious. And t- in this day and age, yeah. when everything is about, I want it now, it's not here fast enough, I can get whatever I want instantly, Yeah. the thing that you can't get becomes the thing people find attractive, I think. I think that's true. Within reason. Yeah, I think that's true. But do you like if you if you're not into like self-examination, do you experience, you know, some sort of catharsis with certain roles? Like do you like emotional lives that oh, are, yeah. that it's sort of you're kind of like, "Oh my god," you know, you Well, found- that's not really self-analysis though. It's more just like putting yourselves in yourself in someone else's shoes and right. then you realize, like, oh, God, uh, this is feeling really familiar. Like, oh, my God, this was about my relationship with my dad was like. like. But you just kind of... You feel that, though? Yeah. You feel like things 
touch nerves. Like, whoa, right. whoa, why did I just start crying right away when I said those words? Like, and you realize like all the stuff buried in there, but and you just it's use good. it as it's opposed to, to leave poke around in there. there. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't need to know it. You don't need to know it. Just enjoy the movie. But yeah, but it's nice that you you can tap into it. That you have this emotional life that you know remains relatively unexamined, but it'll surprise you when you, you start. Yeah. Well, doing that's why I'm role. an actor. <laughs> yeah, it's not. You know, it's like that's. It's not just a convenient that I have that tool. It's the reason I'm an actor is that I have this stuff. I'm able to access things or access feelings. You know. Yeah, and when. When you prepare for something, and we can talk about acting in a, in a, a broad way, because I, like I, I, I kind of find it fascinating when people can talk about it. If it, if something you can talk about, I mean, what do you do to like prepare for for uh, uh, what would you consider the most challenging role you've had, really, as an actor? Well, the most challenging ones are the ones I feel like were failures. Really? So those are the ones that when you say challenging, that's the way I think back, like ah. I tried to do that and it didn't quite work. What? Like which one? I, who wants to talk about that? Not me. But okay. In terms of preparation, the, the um, yeah, you want to talk about your greatest failures? Well, how about one that you <laughs> thought was a victory? I mean that well, that you really. What I was going to say was about preparation. Was you asked me what I what do you yeah. do to prepare? And the truth is, like every single one is totally different. Every. I think from the outside, it looks like there's a way to make a movie and there's this. And even people, sometimes crew people like assistant directors and yeah. stuff think there's this way that you do it. Yeah. You you we'd say this and then you come here and you you have to be here. You know, like the truth is the whole thing is a custom job every single time. Even yeah. if you work with the same director or the same actor, like you got to find what, where are we at today? You know, yeah. what, what, how are we going to convey this today in this world that it is the way it is like so my preparation is specific to what i don't know for each job right so if i have to play like a school teacher who knows about geography and i actually don't know anything about geography i i learn as much as i have to in order to feel like i am uh like authorized to play that part right like i can i can do geography a bit like i can be convincing yeah or i can do a geography enough i can do as as much geography as i would have to do in that scene right i would know what i'm right i get it so you look at this long line fishing or or being a policeman or you know like i'm not one of these people that and i don't fault people because i know some great actors that work this way people that completely you know sub submerge themselves into this world off camera and you yeah. can call them by their character's name and right. they, they're always in character and or they just do so much research that it takes up months of their lives and they just commit and uh, you know I think there's been some great performances f- by that technique yeah sure I'm just not that way I'm I'm more lazy or something I'm more I, more energy I conserve my energy more yeah well, also, like, I mean, like, you know, you seem to, like you said, that you have a gift for accessing emotions. And if you can do that without exhausting yourself uh, yeah, like, in that way. I don't know. Like, I think, like, like I said, it's, each one's a custom job. Okay, let's, well, let's just talk and, like one that everybody knows, like, like Boogie Nights. You were younger, but it was a big movie and you're playing a porn guy. Right. So, and, and he's a pretty fun guy. He's, you know, he's a a fun you know and a nice guy in a way so how did you sort of like set up you set yourself up for that well that was like that the the movies with paul anderson are kind of a breed apart because paul and i 
at the time that we made those movies were very very close and almost like collaborating on this in this way that I didn't really collaborate with anyone before or, and rarely since. How was that? Where he's almost like writing st- stuff for me or letting me improvise in a way that he knows is exactly right for the character. Yeah. And uh, we and visited some him. porn sets yeah. on that movie. I didn't do any porn because <laughs> right. I was married at the time. But yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, that- I felt like I met enough porn people and absorbed enough to know like okay this is what it feels like to be in a porn set this is the psychology of a porn star at this time right you know, like, it demystified it a bit so yeah, you get or you know, just, just makes, made makes you feel like empathy for, right, right. for the person you're gonna play right but you know a lot of times like people like like say it's a civil war movie yeah. someone goes through basic training or, and lives on a battlefield for six months in order to know what it's like to be a civil war soldier like well Yes, but you're only doing this one scene where you're in a triage tent. Yeah. You just need to know about that part of the Civil War, not the entire Civil War experience. But but again, like I said, like with a lot of actors, it's that's really good. You know, mm-hmm. God love them. Some great performances come out of that kind of so with, acting. But I, I don't know. I'm just a little more like... So with... Um, I'm just more instinctual in general about things. I just kind of... I think about I think of it as meditating about the character all the time when, uh-huh. when I'm working. Uh-huh. That's why I find it really hard not to to do more than one th- project. Right. You know, have, yeah. I'm really a one track mind. Yeah. Where even if you know I'm doing something, I'm constantly thinking about it or kind of ruminating about it. You know? Uh huh. And like so, at the time you did Heart Eight and Boogie Nights and uh, and Magnolia, you guys were tied, so you had a sort of a symbiotic personal. He understood yeah. you emotionally. He understood yeah. what your limits were, and you had that dynamic going. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then other other directors, you know, like some people, you just don't know them at all, and they don't know you, and they just expect you to come in like special forces and get it done, you know? <laughs> but you can do that, right? Yeah, so with character actors, that's what you often have to do. Yeah. You know, it's not, to, it's not that it's easy, but it's a lot easier to be a leading character in a movie than it is to be... A supporting character. Oh yeah, yeah. Because when you're a leading character, you start work, you start to chip away at that character. You start yeah. to make decisions. Get used to the crew. Get used to the director. You might have a crappy first day, but you make it up the next day, <laughs> and you start to build this. Then all the decisions that you've made start to create the character for you. And then yeah. by the end of the shooting schedule, you're like, all right, well, <clears throat> I just have to <clears throat> stay honest to what I've done all this time. Right. You come in as a cameo or a supporting actor, a character actor, whatever you want to call it. You have to be hitting the beach, running full <laughs> speed, knowing what you're doing. You only get those, you know, you might come in for three days and then seven days, two months later or something. Yeah. And you got to deliver. Yeah. And all eyes are on. You don't know anybody. Yeah. You know, you're just trying to make it work. And that's a high pressure gig in a way. And it's much harder than slowly building something over the course. Right. That of makes a, sense. Yeah. Right. And it's just as much character development right. as it is for a leading part, except you only have this tiny window to get it done in. <laughs> right. You better yeah. be fully formed. Yeah. Yeah. Like something like uh, Cyrus or, or Good Girl or uh, even, I guess, in like Magnolia where you, you, know, you really got to dug, dig in, that you, yeah. you sort of let that thing grow. Like Cyrus, you must have lived with that guy for a while. Well, Cyrus was entirely improvised. 
There was a script, but we didn't do any of the dialogue of the script. Do you like that? I didn't like it on that movie, Uh uh, to be honest, because um, I think the movie's very good, and I'm proud of my performance in it, but the day-to-day of it was very difficult because, you know, if there was no script, if there was nothing written, and it was just every day you'd show up and like, all right, we're going to, you guys go in the room, just start talking to each other. To me, that's improv. improv. Yeah, I'm right. not intimidated by that at right, all. Right. Like, I, that's my bread and butter. You love like, that. We got nothing, let's go. Yeah. Uh, you know, but when you go in and there's all these words already written and you know the directors are kind of like hoping things are going to head in that direction. Right. And you're like, hey, wait, how do I get it to head in this direction? And but don't say these words. Yeah. I don't know. Like I get what you mean. Like they, they they know what they want, but they're not gonna really tell you. They're yeah. gonna let you bungle through it until yeah, you nail they it. They just kept saying, for go with your instinct, go with your instinct. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. My instinct is to tell the fucking story you wanna tell. You're the directors. What do you wanna do? And they were like, We're not saying. We're not saying. And it drove me really crazy. And I'm sure I wasn't the most pleasant person to deal with as a result. But Jonah and I got along really well. and um, He's a good guy. And we, we did really well together on that movie. And the movie ended up being great. And what I didn't, t- t- like foolishly, what I didn't understand with the way the Duplass brothers work was you know, the script writing is a third of the job. The shooting of the movie is a third of the job. And then the real storytelling is the final third in the editing room where they they look at what they have and they right. make a story right like i didn't quite get that that's what was going to happen i just kept f- feeling like i'd come home from a day at work there and feel like oh my gosh we really did it and so we caught lightning in a bottle that yeah. day like holy crap and then other days i'd be like that was a waste of 12 hours <laughs> that was an embarrassing <laughs> waste of 12 hours you know and, and then, then they would do like a day like that they would just take and cut it and and put music over it and make it this montage right. instead of the scene that was written which was brilliant you yeah. know it's like the movie ends up really hanging together for that reason but how often and then you, there's times yeah. it's like imp- the type of improv like there's people say improv and they think it's just one thing like make them ups or whatever but yeah. there's all different ways to improvise in movies one way is like the way Will Farrell and I work together where we improvise constantly when we're coming up with the ideas for the script or writing the dialogue for the script on Talladega and Step Brothers and I wasn't involved in the writing of Talladega but we improvised a ton on set yeah on Step Brothers we 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 I we broke out the story together and I told them tons and tons of stories from my life and we just made each other laugh and wrote down kind of what we were improvising in the room right and then we go to shoot we do the scripted version which is already very funny. Yeah. You know, as many times until we start to get bored with right. it. And then Adam will be like, just go, just say something totally different. Just do whatever you want. You yeah. Know? And then you end up coming up with these really crazy, chaotic ideas that often make the final cut of the movie. But so you have this writing that's already very inspiring to you. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But to come in and like have a script that you're not that excited about. And then the director go like, yeah, you know, just don't worry about those words. Just yeah. kind of, you know, improv it. And like, yeah, but I'm not really, there's nothing feeding me on the page. Why don't, why don't, you just, why don't I just try to make this work, you know, like, instead of, so, I don't know. It's, it's the crazy life of an actor. It's like the first day of school over and over and over again. Right, right. Where you don't know anybody. You don't know how anyone likes to work. You, you're kind of just should have... 
Yeah, not, not yeah. trying to compromise your ideals, right? But, but do what people want you to do, and it's tricky. I, that's you started to ask me earlier about um, Second City. Yeah, and I went to this kind of serious acting conservatory program at DePaul. Yeah, and there was the option of doing Second City. I'm from Chicago. I knew a lot about it. Yeah, but I felt like, and I'm probably piss off a lot of your listeners who are into improv comedy, but. I felt like a lot, and I think this is still true, uh-huh. a lot of improv comedy, yeah, like Improv Olympic or, yeah. or whatever, these kind of like um, improv companies, yeah. I think there's this slavish devotion to the laugh. Yeah. And if the back of your mind, you're while you're improvising, you're thinking, we got to make this funny. It's got to be funny. Yeah. I got to think of something good here. I got to think of something funny. Then you're just, uh, it, it limits it to, it's still interesting. Limits it's, the depth sometimes. Yeah, it's like 10% yeah. of what you can do. Though. Right. But if you really say 100% of the world's possibilities are on the table, really cool stuff happens in improv workshops. Yeah. Moving stuff, people crying, yeah. people getting upset, people yeah. getting angry, people attacking each other. Like All this crazy stuff can happen. And so I felt like I, wanna, I want the whole experience. Range, I don't yeah. want to just be typecast as someone who's just funny or just... You know, I I, I I felt like it was like... Uh, limiting. Yeah, it was limiting, unnecessarily limiting. And there's a lot of very talented people that work in that improv world. Sure. That that could be could be challenging themselves a lot more if they would let it get dark and let the audience just sit there and, and not be worried about whether people are being entertained all the time. You know? Yeah. Just, I, well, know. I think that's some of the beauty of like, uh, I, uh, like a lot of what... To get back to it in in a vague way, to what Tim and Eric do is that like you know obviously that's funny stuff, but it's profoundly disturbing and dark and deep and vulnerable and weird, and it, it they rarely go for the laugh, but the laugh finds itself if yeah. it, if it even is that type of comedy. It feels like comedy, but it's a lot deeper than laughing. Yeah, <laughs> it's disturbing, it's subversive. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So like when you do it, when you do like a movie like. Like uh, gangs in New York, where there's like a bit, and even Chicago, I guess, where there's costumes and it's like a big period piece and everything else. I mean, does the still being asked to improvise often? Oh, really? Yeah, with uh, Scorsese too. Well, yes. Yeah, I mean, he's he's someone who just like Paul Anderson, just really loves actors. Yeah, yeah. I feel like both of those guys are somewhat mystified by actors. Like, <laughs> how are they doing this? <laughs> It's amazing. <laughs> and as an actor, you love that. You love someone who's mystified by what you yeah, do. Yeah, so yeah. it really encourages yeah. you to go for it and go, watch, watch what I do now. Like, <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. yeah, so he was, you know, like like any good director's, yeah. if a good idea presents itself or something happens accidentally or you're inspired to say something that's not written down, then they immediately adopt it, you know? Yeah, and you got to work with Altman before he died? Yeah. That was that must have been wild. Yeah, that was that was probably the first time you know, ever since I was a little kid to this day it's very hard to find photographs of me where I'm not aware of the camera. Yeah. Even if I'm not looking right at the camera. Yeah. In all my childhood pictures I'm like if there's like a group of kids, no one's looking. I'm yeah. the one kid looking at the camera. Like, <laughs> I'm always aware of the camera. I'm always aware of like, yeah. okay, what's the what's the move here or right. whatever, you know. Right. Um, but on that one, there were so many cameras flying around. 
it was really the first time I had no idea where it was, and it didn't matter. Bob's like, just, just gi-. he used to say, giggle and give in. Yeah. <laughs> just giggle and give in. <laughs> I was like, where's the camera? It doesn't matter where the camera is. Just stay in it, and it's that, really liberating and very scary feeling. Yeah? Yeah. Because you're like, what if, what if, you know, what if I blow it for a second, you know, like... Yeah, <laughs> or where, you know, I'm picking my nose, or what? I don't realize it's um, the camera's on me. I'm just standing there, dead eyed. You know, like yeah. But it keeps you on your toes when you when you're not sure. And the um, the like also like when you do play comedy, when you do something like um, what was it uh, walking? Talk, what is it? Walk walk, walk talk, hard. Walk hard, which is great. But you got to play that straight too, right? You can't. You're not thinking about yeah. the laugh at all, right? Yeah, you got to play it straighter than straight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the commitment to that narrative and to the you know the referring to yourself in third person a little bit. Is it, yeah. Like, yeah, it was hilarious, dude. That's the first sign of mental illness. They say is referring to yourself <laughs> in the third person. <laughs> is it? That's what somebody told me. Bruno Kirby said that. You know, the actor yeah, sure. Bruno Kirby passed sure. away. God, yeah. God bless him. You knew like, him? That's the first. Yeah, we did. We're no angels together. Oh right, right, right. Oh my some, God, that's right. We're mutual friends too. We're no angels. That was that De Niro in that too. Yeah, or? De Niro, Sean Penn, Demi. That Moore. was the monks. Yeah, I love that movie. <laughs> that was my second movie. Yeah. What a fun fucking movie that was. It was a remake too, right? Yes. Yeah, that was great. Yeah. And there, oh, that was very funny. Good for you. <laughs> You've been around a while. You have been, man. See, worked out all right. It's worked out. That's why I don't do a lot of these kind of things. Yeah. And I think you may have asked me to do this before. Yeah, I did. And I've resisted because I knew coming in here, I would say more than I want to say. Because I'm just a chatty person. I, I'll just start talking. And and I like you say, it's going well so far. Part of the reason I feel like it's going well so far is because I have these little rules about you know, don't talk about that. And you do? Don't let people see you like that. And, yeah. You know, like, because it's just good for business, you know? I Mystery guess. is good for business. I don't, I don't get a sense. I, I'm like, I'm not, I'm not at this point in our conversation, like, I'm not thinking like, I got a handle on this guy. I know where he's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> good, because. Yeah, you're still. You're, all lies anyway. Yeah, you're so. still pretty mysterious to me. I, you know, I, I, I know you're just a guy with a life, but you, you know, I, I, I like what's happening nonetheless. I forgot you were in this movie too. This uh, the 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 Kevin movie. Jesus Christ! We need to talk about Kevin. That was a yeah. fucking heavy movie. It was. Wow. Do you that like was a heavy did, movie to make too? Yeah. Did you like working with Tilda Swinton? She's sort of a gifted yeah. person. She's a, one of those bodhisattvas, total touched by the light sort of person. Like her, kind of. She has this expansive view of things. Yes. Yeah. Really? Kind of amazing. Just in yeah. when you just talk to her. Yeah, she just, she just, I don't know. You ever meet people who are like, that person knows yeah. some of the secrets or something. <laughs> they know, yeah. they're seeing the bigger picture in yeah, a way yeah. that I'm just not seeing it. <laughs> and I'm looking at 20% of the frame, they're seeing the whole thing. And I feel like Tilda's one of those people, Meryl Streep is one of those people, like, they're just, I don't know, they're just something. Yeah. I don't really believe in reincarnation or whatever, but there is something. There's a wisdom that those people had from the get-go right? that's different than... I've learned a lot of stuff over time, but those people like know something in, yeah. inherently. Right. Know? And she's just so... I mean, Tilda is so f- down-to-earth and funny and sexy and yeah. intelligent. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it's, it must have been amazing just work. I mean, you must have had that experience a lot to work with people that you think are great. And just to, I've been you know. really lucky. I got really lucky on my first movie. That first movie, Casualties of War, that we started talking about, that was a great first job to get because yeah. then I then I had okay, well, I'm not going to go do like Chucky three after after that. Right, right. I got to aim a little higher because yeah. the truth is, I would have done anything at right. that point. <laughs> yeah, I just got lucky that I got cast in a movie with Sean Penn, who is a very high integrity and someone who's like a great great actor who. You know, who showed me like this is the way you do it. This is what's important. He all, showed you all that stuff's not important. He showed me by the way he lived. By example, you know, he yeah, took me under his wing. Yeah, I, he was like, "What do you th- What are you going to do next? I got this movie, We're No Angels. You know, you should think about auditioning for it." I was like, "Well, I'm being offered this movie, Memphis <laughs> Bell, which is also a good movie, yeah. but you know, I'm thinking about doing that. The eight, my agent says I should do that one. And he's like, "Who?" I, Memphis Bell, and he's like, no, no, who said you should do it? So my agent said, I should. She's like, he's like, that's the last person you should be asking for advice about what to do. <laughs> and to a twenty-two-year-old person, that was a real shocker because that was getting an agent was like a big thing to right. me. I thought, I'm set. That's what you do. You yeah, talk to your agent, and they figure it out. And he was right. <laughs> that is the last person you should be asking for advice about whether you should do something. Yeah. Now that person can really help you get the the money you should be getting. Yeah. They sh- they can help you the be, parts you want to get the way you yeah. want to be treated once you get the job. But in terms of which job, one over the other, they are the last person you should be asking. You know? Yeah, yeah. You really yeah. have to ask yourself, and you have to ask people who are also artists that you respect. Yeah, and he you learned that right then. Yeah. That was a good lesson to learn early yeah, on. I got lucky. Yeah, and you did a lot of great stuff. So when you say um like you, like you're aware of of the title of character actor, you know. And there's this, and I find that that those actors are usually the the most interesting and the most memorable. Well, it's really <clears throat> it's an outdated term. It's it kind of it's a studio term from the old days of studio. You know, it's like, you know, they right the way they would kind of categorize you. I mean, the truth is, like, I think Leo DiCaprio was a character actor. Uh huh. You know, uh, a lot of these guys that play leads in movies are character actors. Right. They're, they're transformational actors. You know, like I don't think Michael Caine's a character actor. Michael Caine is an exceptionally talented actor who kind of plays the same same close to what i imagine his personality is you know i know but i thought that about you too but i think you're wrong right (laughs) (laughs) i think yeah whatever i have similarities to michael ken in that how much i work in the kind of workhorse actor that i am or whatever but but um I don't think you go into well. I hope I hope you don't go into a movie that I'm in thinking like, I know what I'm getting here. Oh no, classic you, Riley performance. You well, know, you, like, well, that would just mean good. I think character actors are people. Yeah, a good that, performance that that submerge their own personalities in service of the character. Mm-hmm. And then there's other great great actors who do who play some version of their personality over and over, and the and the character comes to them. Mm-hmm. The movie comes to the way. Who's an they example are. of that? Like George Clooney, maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. Yeah, uh, you know, um, Harrison Ford. I think right? is like that. Yeah. Or, you know, just these guys are super, super talented, but 
but they've they're lucky enough to have made a career where the character comes to them the right. the story comes to them as opposed to them fitting themselves into something yeah yeah you know yeah yeah but i i think of myself as someone who fits into what's there yeah you, you know, make your as opposed you... to like look folks this is the way john riley works john riley does not wear that color <laughs> And John Riley likes a breakfast burrito at eight fourteen. Thank you. I was. I'm sad you didn't bring guitar. I thought maybe we'd sing. I'm sad you don't. You have a guitar. I got I plenty of guitars. What do you like to play? Blues. We country. <clears throat> I have a bluegrass. Not bluegrass. It's more like folk Americana. For all yeah. I hate that term. Yeah. Because there's lots of things that are American, but um, we play old classic melodies from the tree of song oh yeah bluegrass folk yeah. music and country music primarily oh that's great me and a couple other people and we it's, it's sometimes as many as eight people oftentimes just three or four. Oh, it sounds great a lot of close harmony singing oh and, that's great yeah that must be like a nice thing like i i love to play i don't play with people a lot you know sometimes i do but i play a lot and uh but it, it's so nice to to be sitting with a group of people playing music and having that for me is it gives me something to do that I really believe in. Yeah. In between jobs, so I don't take things that because I want to work that right. are not good jobs to take. Music you know? does that for you. Yeah, music keeps you doing things that you love to do as opposed to I don't know. Acting can be a really high burnout job if you take things that you don't believe in. You can make you ill. It hurts you. Yeah, it takes away, chips away at your soul. And yeah. You just, I don't know, you get lost. You lose yourself. It's that old Native American thing of like, they didn't like their picture taking because they thought right. it's taking some part yeah. of yourself. I think there is something to that. Right, if it's the wrong cameraman or director. <laughs> or even if it's the right one. You're yeah. slowly giving parts of yourself away, you know? Uh-huh. Just like this stupid interview we just did. <laughs> That's a fine way to end. I love it. No. It was great talking to you. Thank you. And did you have a good time at least? Yeah, I had a great time. I would, I would, I almost wish it wasn't recorded. Yeah, right. <laughs> and it wasn't going to be shared with millions of people that you and I just had this conversation. But yeah, maybe people listening to it will have a virtual experience like we've just had. Yeah, I hope so. I that would be that would be nice. And eventually they'll have the technology. Thanks, John. Thank you. How fun was that? I love that guy. John C. Riley, go see The Lobster, watch Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule on uh, Adult Swim. Go see any of his movies, any of the old ones. He's great. As always, go to WTFPod.com. You can order a poster, get a t-shirt. You can check my tour dates. You can see the episode guide if you're wondering if somebody that you're a fan of has been on the show. Am I going to play guitar? Is that That's the question. Where am I at time-wise? Huh, maybe I can. <laughs> 